Totally football show on a magical weekend in the beautiful game from the Witches of the South and their last-minute miracle to a spellbinding Arsenal Man United. We look back on the moments to savour. Mourinho saved by De Gea like Rapunzel's boyfriend. Liverpool doing one from a great height on the Seagulls. The irony, etc. There's Everton's renaissance, PSG losing, Champions League and FIFA's balls in Moscow's firm hands at the World Cup draw. The reaction to what was pulled out in front of Putin, it's the Totally Football Show. Raw everybody. What a magical weekend. What a magical weekend of football. The fun doesn't stop. I've just had a mince pie and I'm really, really hyper now, especially because I've got treats in front of me as well in the very human uh, shape of uh, Tom Williams, who joins us for a Totally Football Show debut. Hi, Tom. You do a lot for France, don't you? French press. Yes, I work for a French company, so I sort of have a, a foot on both sides of the channel. If I like. like it. All right. You'll be like one of those people trying to cross from one train to another. Just they hit points and go off in different directions, metaphorically. Yes, yes. Hopefully not as, as, as dangerous as, as that sounds. David Priest is here. Loving your work this morning, James. Oh, thank you, David. Yeah. What a great day to have such a svelte-looking uh, and suave uh, ex-keeper in, because there's so much keeper stuff to talk about today. It's a very keeper-heavy weekend this weekend. All right. Will Vieri says, I like David Priest. You should have him on more. He's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's Ian McIntosh. Ooh. You went to Stamford Bridge. I did. And paid particular attention to Everton's game with Huddersfield. I did. More on that later on. I say, though, what a great day to have a keeper on because, of course, Saturday, I'm thinking we're going to have a big chat about De Gea. But then on Sunday, did you see, David, did you see Benevento? Only the greatest moment in football history, according to Tim Daish. The greatest, most unorthodox header I've ever seen. Well, it's lovely. He said, the bench waved for me to go up front, so I ran up there and closed my eyes and dove at it as if I was making a save. <laughs> and it, exactly what it, and it's kind of hit him on the top of the head. Yeah. Back of the head. Yeah, it was brilliant. All right, for those who just joined us, this is Benevento, and we've been tracking them for a while. Lost all their first 14 games, often in really unfortunate last-gasp circumstances. Sunday then, they're taking on Milan with Gennaro Gattuso making his debut on the bench for the seven-time European champions. And of course they're behind going into the, the final minutes, 2-1. And, and then it happens. In 95th minute, and this happens. Si muove sul primo palo, traiettoria con Brignoli! Brignoli! Ha segnato il portiere del Benevento! Just remarkable. A little, there's a little bit of sadness that that extraordinary record that they'd put together of 14 straight defeats, the, the, the longest ever run of defeats from the start of the season in football history, I believe. A, a little bit of regret that that's ended, but well done to them. They're now nine points from safety. Can they do it, David? No, they can't. I mean, Gattuso must be absolutely raging as well. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it wasn't a, a great first game for him because he, he couldn't win anywhere. He, they're expected to win, and if they get beat, then it's even worse. Did you see what Gattuso said? I would rather have been stabbed. Yeah, like a pugnalata. Well, I'm not sure that they can't, David. I'm not sure that they can't. I think there might be three worse teams than this Benevento side, especially with that incredible turnaround. But Brignoli, I mean, did you ever score a goal as a keeper? No, I've got an assist to my name, though. Ah. Silkeborg versus Viola, 2007, I think it was. Went for a corner. Little flick on down to to Runison, our Icelandic midfield player. Half volleyed into the net, 1-1, which was good because I gave the first goal away to to Viola. So, (laughs) nice one. Bit of a relief. You've obviously seen keepers score. I remember Schillever with the free kicks and that. Brignoli, who's actually owned by Juventus, he's on loan. Yeah. Nick Howe-Bukowski says, how would you compare Brignoli's goal with fellow keeper Mark Pooms? 
effort for Sunderland against Derby 2003. What do you think, Tom? That was a proper header. It was, was a proper header. I, I, would, I would say, I mean, there was one in South Africa, I think, where the, uh, the goalkeeper does an overhead kick, which is very spectacular. Wow. But it's the standard for me, Mark Poom. Is it, that right? It, it, yeah, because he's, it looks like he's been launched out of a cannon from the edge <laughs> of the box into the near post, and literally, almost by him side, flying through the air. Michelangelo was it I think Rampulla who was also a backup keeper at Juve used to have a fine line in the early 90s in in, in goals I think headed goals as well but the last one in in Italy do you know who scored the last keeper to score in Italy was it Abiotti uh, not Abiotti um, Massimo Taibi Taibi sorry yeah. who used to be responsible for lots of goals at Man United as well but in a different way but, but you know what I don't count any of these as goals as, as goalkeeper goals why because a true goalkeeper goal it comes from your own box. Okay, Tim Robinson. Howard's, yeah, Robinson, Tim Howard's, um, hmm. Begovic, did he do it as well? That South African goal, by the way, uh, here's Liam Kearney identifying it. It was Masaluki for uh, Baruka FC. Uh, overhead kick, very impressive, says Liam. Uh, lots of people suggesting, oh, who else? Coltorti for Leipzig. Jimmy Glass, says Liam. Also, Nakul Pandey saying, does Benevento diving head a hold a candle to the glass effort? Well, the Jimmy Glass goal was special not just because it's a goalkeeper scoring, but also because it prevented Carlisle from going down on the last day of the season. Well, that's good, so in, in terms of narrative, that's that's packing a lot of punch. Really? Would you put that ahead of this though? Ending that incredible Benevento run? It's stopping a it's stopping a team going into non-league on the last day of the season. So as wonderful as this Benevento moment is, I th- I still think Glass is just above it. Jimmy Glass wrote a, wrote a book about, I think, didn't he? Did they, he? they won't write a book about this goal, I don't think. I don't know about that actually, David. I think this was this has been absolute sensation, absolute sensation. Although to be fair, the Gazetta this morning, the front page was mostly given up to Inter, who gone top of the table. Uh, it said Inter boom, Milan spoom. I'm not sure what they mean by that. <laughs> Unless they could, is it been lost in translation? I don't get that. I don't no, get no. that either. Italians do let me know what they mean by spoom. But it's obviously not a good thing. We'll talk about this later on, eh? Unless there's anything else you want to talk about with regard to keeper scoring. The only thing I was going to flag up was the South African goalie who scored that incredible... I think it was an overhead bicycle kick in stoppage time to win the game. Rather than just going mad, like the Benevento goalkeeper did, he ran over to the corner flag and did this really convoluted, choreographed goal celebration. As if his entire life he'd been standing there between the posts thinking, <laughs> not only will I one day score, but when I do, I'm going to drop this really silly celebration. I think, I think that's the only thing that goes against Mark Pooms, because I think it was against Derby, his, his ex-club, and he didn't really celebrate. He just sort of like oh. went back, ran back sternly to his goal and... You've got to celebrate that goal. I still think it's mm. amazing that all of these people have scored more goals than Tony Hibbert, who actually played out on pitch. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? Anyway, let's sum up by saying Inter, boom, Milan, spoon, but best was Mark Poom. And uh, we'll move on. One of the moments of the weekend, but there were plenty more of them, particularly Saturday evening as Arsenal took on Man United. That we will be discussing after this. Arsenal, Man United, everybody. What on earth happened at the Emirates, Tom Williams? What didn't happen at the Emirates? I mean, it was a proper... Arsenal didn't win. Uh, Arsenal did not win, yes, this, this is true. Um, and Arsenal didn't get a couple of late penalties that they, mm. they, they thought they should have had. But it was a proper sort of gloves-off, knockabout, end-to-end ding-dong. Was it because... Did Man United come out and play like that in a very uncharacteristic fashion for that kind of fixture because it was against Arsene Wenger? Was it a personal thing or a tactical thing with Jose? Um, I think it was probably a blend of the two. Um, I I almost wondered whether United had made a a better start to the game than they wanted to because they were only set up to counter-attack. And because Arsenal were messing around with the ball at the back, they were two goals up inside 11 minutes. 
And then you had a team that had been set up to counter-attack with a two-goal lead to protect. Mm. And I thought United generally played very well. But Isn't certainly that perfect, the though, if you're half, set up to counter-attack? Because then you can just sit back and hit them when... Because they've got to come on to you, no? It, true, but I, I think what it meant was that, you know, when you've already got a two-goal lead to protect, mm. that, you know, need to counter-attack becomes a lot less. And what becomes important is just seeing the game out. Right. And... They didn't really have anyone who was looking after the ball properly, which became even more pronounced a problem when Paul Pogba was sent off, Mm. which I think partly explains why they were sort of clinging on a little bit. David De Gea making 14 saves, uh, a record in the uh, Opta era. A really, really, really enjoyable game. Well, it's a a match that brought to an end a series of impressive runs. Arsenal's unbeaten run at home. Jose's woeful record away against top sides, that Lacazette and Sanchez always winning when they start together uh, business. We'll talk about who should be happier with with this between Man United and Arsenal in in a bit, leaning towards United on account of the three points myself. But first, David, let's salute the extraordinary De Gea. We've had your thoughts on him before. Lots of listeners asking, is he the best United keeper they have ever had? Ever, David, ever. No, you, you, would, you wouldn't say at the moment. Well, I mean, Schmeichel's head, and, well, literally head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, could th- Schmeichel have made that double save on Lacazette and uh, Iwobi? Um, yeah, of course he could. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's um, as, as a goalkeeper that they've been blessed uh, in that department. They've been blessed the last few, uh, last sort of fifteen, twenty years with Schmeichel, uh, Van der Sar, and then uh, and then uh, De Gea, obviously, and he's um, one thing I do like about him is that he's developed as a goalkeeper. He hasn't, you know, you see someone like Manuel Neuer, I remember seeing him at 17, got to watch him in training at, at Schalke and he's there. Uh, and he looked the part then, he looked every inch the goalkeeper he is now really. Whereas the gay, he sort of, he's had, he, you know, it hasn't been a straight line of, uh, of development for him. And, and the fact that he, he's come through that initial first two seasons and then just blossomed, I mean, it's, uh, it, 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 in my eyes, it makes him, uh, puts him high above everyone else. Mm. But can you remember a more complete goalkeeping performance for United than the one on Saturday? I mean, it, it, they were important saves. That that was the that was the, the the thing about it. The that double save, the second save was was unbelievable because his reaction, being able to think, and uh, and in those situations you do. It, it might seem like a, a subconscious reaction where you just an instinct, hmm. but it's not. He, he's he's a keeper who favours going with his feet anyway. You know, you look at his game. He's uh, there's a lot of keepers now adapting their game. To, to the style that he uses and you think that's what, what he, he had a good couple of seasons at, uh, at Madrid and then uh, when he came here he's obviously had to adapt to a different style of football and with Eric Steele he broke down his, his, his game right down to the base level again and, and built it back up and, uh, and, and Eric Steele says himself and I've spoke to him about it and he says as much as he thinks that he taught uh, David Gay to, to build his game back up again and, 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 and change things in it, he learnt as much from him as well What do you think he learnt from him? Well it's, I think it, that's a big part of it was his, his, uh, his stopping balls with the feet right. that it's, uh, it's a much more efficient way of doing it mm. uh, of stopping the ball it, it's very difficult especially with goalkeepers who are tall to get down there to, to lower shots very close to them. Although the way he did get down for the first of the, that double save well, well, that's it. I had somebody come to me saying, "Oh, don't you think he should have? Uh, he should have got the ball out of danger." When in situations like that, all you're doing is stopping the ball. You're not worrying about anything else. You know, mm. you haven't got the luxury of doing that. But that is one thing that he's very good at. And you look at all across all the goalkeepers when he's parrying the ball, he parries the ball out of danger. Mm. 
John Bennett says one day they should build a statue of that person in the back office at Real Madrid who messed up the David De Gea transfer. You're not finished talking about David. Well, no, it's, I know there's a lot of uh, talk about uh, what he's good at and the, the, mm. the type of saves that he makes and uh, the adjustments he made in the game. But I think since 2012, he's only made half as many mistakes or errors as uh, Manuel Neuer. Right. And that's a, that's a big part of the game as well. You know, you, if you look across now, um, you, a lot of goalkeepers, you can go back and pinpoint uh, errors. You think about David De Gea, mm. it'd be difficult to pick one out just off the top okay. of your the, the, um, the, sorry, James. I was going to say the only error that David Haye made against Arsenal was that unfortunate little ponytail thing he's got going on the back <laughs> of his head. So not not a complete faultless performance. Arsenal did manage to get one goal past him. Did Ramsey mean that assist? Do you think, Tom? <laughs> I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt and sorry. say that yes, he did. I mean, it was a lovely touch. Mm. I think he, whether he meant it or not, the the dexterity to bring down that ball um, and then. If he didn't mean it, he very really quickly realised that Lacazette was in a much better position, scooted out of the way mm. uh, quickly. Um, he didn't look surprised. I did I did study the replays. He didn't look surprised. No, he didn't. Mm. Cushioned the ball down, saw that Lacazette was there, skirted out of the way. No, I, th- I, th- I think we can I think we can give him the credit for that. All right. What well, the big question then, Ian, which you raised an eyebrow about before, who's going to be happier about Saturday's performance? A lot of Arsenal fans were still buzzing, even though they lost after the game, just because they're... The, the team had played so well, with one or two exceptions. Yeah, this is true, and I certainly think they've they've tested the very notion of XG this weekend, which, uh, in the mainstream at least, is very much in its infancy, because I've never seen it as high as five by a team that didn't win the game. Mm. In fact, I've never seen it as high as five full stop. More traditional stats were also very much of that ilk, i.e. 75% possession, uh, the number of shots they had, how many was it? 53, I think. And how many on target? 14. 15 on target, 15 but De Gea on target. only made 14 saves, so I presume one of those was blocked by someone. Yeah, but they did get one in. Yes, that's that'll, it. That'll, that'll, that'll <laughs> be it. That'll be it. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of this has got to do with United going ahead so early and um, taking a two-goal two, two goal advantage because the, the dynamics of the, the game change after that. Right. They, they're not going to go keep going hell for leather and leave themselves open. So they invite a little bit and allow them to have possession. So I wouldn't get too carried away if I was um, Arsenal. It's possible that I'm more pessimistic than most, but I'd be focusing on those first 12 minutes mm. and those catastrophic errors that put Arsenal on the back foot immediately. And and I, I think that Mourinho did that deliberately. I think uh, he doesn't do it often. He doesn't often throw everybody forward and get that press going. Did it uh, against Chelsea last season to great effect and stop them in their tracks. Um, and I, I think he did it here. I think he knew that Arsenal would want to settle into the game and he didn't let them. Right. That said, while he comes away with a 3-1 win, there are one or two worrying points. Some people would say the fact that the goalkeeper was the man of the match and with Man City coming up next weekend that might be a bit worrying if De Gea is going to be put under a similar amount of pressure having said that you know as some, as, who was it pointed out uh, as Alexander Netherton uh, points out have a good goalkeeper is allowed for any team that wants to try yeah, it I'd rather have him in good form before a game like that than not in good form before a game like that I, I don't think there's there's any issue with that I okay. think the, the biggest worry is Paul Pogba Paul Pogba right um, being out for, for three weeks um, uh, three games sorry we've, we've discussed many times the difference he makes to them and mm. without him against Manchester City that's going to be very tough that moment where he rounded Koscielny as if he was playing in, you know, against six year olds or something just stiff arms him off and, and and this is a sad thing he was looking like after that injury he was beginning to get back up to 100% um, but you know on the bright side I guess uh, he'll, he'll have plenty of time to, uh, to rest up okay. over the Christmas period it wasn't just about Pogba and 
De Gea. Mark Canary says, after an incredible display at the weekend, can anyone explain to me Jesse Lingard, who's on a real run of form, by the way, isn't he? What position does he play? Is he any good? I genuinely don't know, says Mark. Should we, get him, should we be getting excited about him before Russia? Tom? I don't see why not. I, I think Lingard is a player who confuses people because he, he hasn't always been a starter for United. Mm. And when he does start, he pops up in different positions. Um, the last two matches, Watford and then Arsenal, he was playing in this sort of number 10 role, if you like, behind the front two. Um, but he's a very good player. He does lots of things very well that don't leap out. I mean, obviously, at the moment, he's scoring goals, so we can see what he's doing. But um, I think his movement's very good, very intelligent and very selfless. He's, you know, he, he runs beyond the defenders quite a lot. He creates space behind himself. And he's got this really useful knack of scoring important goals mm. in, in big games. Um, and, and talking from an England perspective, there's clearly quite a lot of competition for those attacking midfield places. But if you look at the way things are currently, I mean, Raheem Sterling is obviously flying. Deli Ali's gone off the boil a little bit. Adam Lallana's been out with injury. Ross Barkley's off the picture. You know, I, I think if you were to pick the squad now, you'd, you'd put Lingard in it. And if he's going to carry on playing in this way for United until the end of the season, then you you definitely have him in there, I think. All right, well, we touched on the World Cup there. We'll discuss the draw that was made last Friday for the groups after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Mm. Friday, everybody. It was the World Cup draw for the 32 nations that have earned their places in Russia 2018. World Cup not without its issues. Putin regime, allegations of sporting corruption, racism intolerance, the memory of what happened in Marseille, all that kind of thing. And yet, as if by magic, when they draw the balls out and you hear Portugal, Spain on the second day, Argentina, Iceland, smallest team ever to qualify the day after that, or... Germany, Mexico, you can't help but feeling that tingle. With that in mind, we've asked some friends of the Totally Football Show for the reaction to the draw worldwide. Well, Germany drew Mexico, Sweden and South Korea and Germany coach Joachim Löw was very relaxed before the draw. I think he'd be even more relaxed afterwards because the, the worst team on paper, Mexico, was also the team that Germany dispatched quite comfortably at the Confed Cup with their reserves, more or less, 4-1. So I don't think they feel that there is any team that can seriously endanger their advancement. Everybody very happy with the drawing France, players, fans, federation, Australia, Peru and Denmark. I think that was the ideal draw for them. They won't take anything for granted, but it's the perfect start to a World Cup to go from strength to strength in the group stages and then to arrive in full confidence and fitness for the last 16, where, the, where another competition matters and, and the real game start coming up. The general reaction in Russia was a positive one. You have to bear in mind that Russia are the lowest ranked nation in the competition, uh, so I think the other teams will be pleased with it as well. But in my opinion, though, drawing Uruguay, Egypt and Saudi Arabia isn't as straightforward as it looks. For the opening game, Russia couldn't have asked for better opposition, but I think Egypt and Uruguay are going to prove pretty tough. I mean, if you look at someone like Salah, how is the Russian defense going to cope with him? And of course, uh, with Uruguay, Luis Suarez coming back. So I'm not 100% sure that Russia will get out of the group. Even if they do, they will then come up against Spain or Portugal, and I think that will be the end. In Belgium, everyone is looking forward to England, Belgium, 
the only game that matters for us in, in the group, I think. We're totally not worried about Panama or Tunisia. We only want to see who is now the real England. We Belgium, the continental England, or England, the real England, and who will bottle it? I think it's a fine draw for Brazil. The, the pot four selection, which is Serbia, I think was probably a slight curveball for them. It was looking pretty pretty manageable up to that point. So they, they start off with Switzerland, then it's Costa Rica. But Serbia is a little bit harder, I would say. Probably the toughest one they could have got from pot four. I don't think they'll have too many problems, but I, it may not be quite as easy as some people in Brazil seem to be suggesting it is. I think that Germany will be able to avoid Brazil if both teams win their groups until the final is, is seen as a bonus. Um, Germany's path to the to a possible final looks looks like a pretty straightforward one, uh, one they should be able to negotiate. Also, I think the fact that teams like Spain, France, they can't meet them until later on if everything goes according to plan, which is another sort of unspoken uh, assumption that you know you don't want to play against these teams too early in the knockout stages. I'd say it's a middling draw for Argentina, probably tougher than Brazil's, but it certainly shouldn't be anything they have too many problems with. They've got a lot of history with Nigeria, played them at four times at World Cups already, and those matches have really been close encounters. Argentina have won them all, but only by the odd goal. And the two teams played in November, and Nigeria turned Argentina over 4-2, so they'll probably be fairly wary of them. Iceland won't have quite the surprise factor they did at the Euros, I don't think. Croatia probably the, the team they'll be probably most fearful of but uh, Jorge Sampaoli the, the Argentina coach has said it's probably not the worst group out there which I would agree with Argentina having been so sketchy in qualifying should improve I think given a little bit of time for Sampaoli to get his methods across I would expect them to progress but maybe not with three wins France have a long history with, with Denmark actually and every time they've beaten them in the World Cup they or in the Euros, they, they went on to win the competition in 98, in 84, uh, as well, and in 2000. So uh, Denmark, in many ways, has been a lucky charm for France when we've beaten them in, in a big competition. The general sentiment around the draw has been, wow, all these big names have come over. I think Lineker, co-presenting with the Russian uh, journalist, uh, has caused quite a bit of a stir as well, because Lineker is actually a massive ambassador for football in general, and he is seen as someone who is you know, who is the face of football. And also that the Russia, you know, didn't lose it in the face of um, quite, a, quite a bit of recent criticism, particularly, you know, about the whole thing with doping and the Olympics. Uh, the verdict is coming up on the 5th of December. But I don't think the latest allegations will affect the World Cup because they're simply coming too late. Semi-finals must be our goal. Otherwise, we are bottlers still just like England. Jack Lane, Julian, Laurent, Raphael Honigstein, Sasha Gurionov and Christoph they're summarising some of the uh, global reaction. And no one, I think, as happy as Russia, who came away with what I believe is the weakest group in modern World Cup history. England's, though, I think has been widely saluted, featuring Tunisia, Panama and Belgium, as being very much, you know, within... England's kind of capability, Ian, what would you say? Well, you'd have to say the best bit of news there is that England-Belgium is the last game. Ah. Um, so, presumably... I don't, I don't know why After I'm the saying presumably. Two draws. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> England really don't want to be in a position where they have to win that. But mm. realistically, given all of the teams that came out of the hat, mm. with the exception of Russia's draw, they should be able to get three point four right. points from uh, Panama and Tunisia. They really should. Right. If Russia they... drawing the second worst team in the 
competition, they themselves being the worst, I believe it's that way around. Well, it's, and that's the opening game of the tournament, which, you, to be fair, you have to, if you're going to have that game, Russia, Saudi Arabia, best make it the opener. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the numbers are extraordinary. The Times had the average world ranking for every group, which varies between about 18 and 25, with Russia's group way up at 45, Cheapest. which is uh, an astonishing um, astonishing golf. You know. yeah. well, hey, you know, these things happen. Don't they, though? Um, excellent. You saw Azard, who one would think would be the star of the show for Belgium come the World Cup. You saw him on Saturday at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, yeah, he did pretty well, mm. you have to say. Um, he seems to be relishing the freedom of um, that, that role he has behind the striker now, um, particularly against a team like Newcastle, who just weren't good enough on any level and left far too much space for him to exploit. Um, with Hazard, as with all of the Premier League players, uh, it's really a question of fatigue. Mm. I think uh, the English season is particularly intense to domestic cup competitions and Champions League games. And I think that's his biggest risk against making this his World Cup. Because the roles are very much reversed in Group G. Usually it's England who come with all the hype mm. and Belgium who are the traditional dark horses. I think it's fair to say that that's turned on its head now. And a lot of Be- people are saying, yes, Belgium, but it's Roberto Martinez as well. Yeah, but Roberto Martinez has his merits. He's a good attacking manager. He's a nice guy. If he can keep those personalities together, I think you'd have to put Belgium in the sort of leading four candidates to mm. win and England somewhere out in you know, ninth or tenth as one of those teams that could certainly win a cup competition. Very well, nice. I mean, generally speaking, you hope that, that Belgium do something at this World Cup. I mean, not so necessarily at England's expense, but we've been watching and enjoying this stupendously talented group of players, most of whom play in the Premier League over the, the past few years. And today, at a big tournament, they've not done anything at all. Um, they get compared to their, their golden generation of 86, who you know, obviously reached World Cup semi-finals, came a cropper against Maradona and Argentina. And you'd like to think that that Belgium team has got at least one tournament like like mm. that in them because they've clearly got the ability. They're like they're basically England, aren't they? From what you're saying, that does sound eerily. It does sound a bit Englandy. <laughs> it, it, it was a great side that 1986 side, to be yeah. fair. But they, they did. Uh, the only problem is they, they they faffed about with the ball too much. Hey, no. I got it. I got it. I got oh, it. Goalkeeper oh, pun. Come on, he's a goalkeeper. Jean-Marie he's he's Faff. Ah, um, yeah. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, no problem. Spoon. <laughs> There's another one. I'm not surprised. Oh, no. we, I'm not surprised we got Panama. Go on. Yeah, I knew we'd pull them out of the hat. Oh Jesus! Hey. Oh, oh, oh. Right. Um, there was a there was a good Twitter oh. joke about about England drawing Panama. Don't joke, know everybody. Saw that. Tom. Not my joke. Uh, um, but it was something like, oh, that's going to be an emotional one. Uh, England Panama as England players meet their accountants for the first time. Right. Hey. Right. Good one. Decent. Yeah. Topical. It's funny because it's true. Ian, what's coming up in the Football League show on Tuesday? We're joined by James Brown, former loaded luminary man mm. of media and fanatical Leeds United supporter. And David Priest's housemate. He, well, he's my landlord. OK. Uh, basically. All right. But anyway, what's he going to be talking about? David Priest? Uh, no, we'll be talking about Leeds United ah. um, and uh, the Championship and the Championship special as me, Matt and James go through, well, pretty much everything in the division, which is an extraordinary division at the moment. Um, not least Sunderland. Yeah. After that very, very brief burst of hope, suddenly losing 3-1 at home to Reading in a game marred by reports of a young supporter yeah. showing his displeasure um, by defecating in his seat. However, mm. we did check this out before the show 
a uh, 17-year-old was arrested on suspicion of mm-hmm. being drunk at a sporting event. Mm. Um, is but, that an offence, being drunk at a sporting event? Yeah, it's, uh, entering a sporting event while drunk, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, but yeah, anyway, do go on with your story. Yeah, um, and, and they said that uh, the, the offence specified on social media didn't happen. He didn't do number no, two. No, I mean, one could not blame him for showing his displeasure right. in such a manner. Well, um, the year-long wait for a win on Wearside continues. At the other end, Cardiff closed the gap on Wolves, at least until they play Birmingham this very evening. I, I was with um, Neil Warnock on, on Saturday morning, actually. Hey. Yeah. How's he doing? Uh, he was very well. I mean, you know, he's always kind of... Uh, High on life. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who has a lot of time, never having had him as a manager of a team that I supported <laughs> or indeed facing a team I supported, etc. Well, got a six-point gap on the playoffs at Love the moment. Me. Nobody saw that coming. Mm. We, were at, um, we were at Notts County, Oxford City in the second round of the FA Cup, of course, because yeah. I know you're curious as to why I was spending Saturday morning with Neil Warnock. And <laughs> I wasn't was, going to ask any questions. That was a remarkable... It was part of what, for me, was a remarkable weekend of football because... Oxford City, as you no doubt know, are languishing down at the bottom end of the National League South, sixth tier of English football, while under Kevin Nolan, uh, Notts County have absolutely... F- when he took over, they were 20th. They're now only goal difference off the, off the top of, of League Two. But it was all set up... Oxford City twice came from behind to set up a, a remarkable replay back at their place on their 3G pitch, which, of course, Notts County wouldn't be happy about, until literally in the last second of stoppages... George Grant yeah. scored for Notts County. And the, the, the place, or whoever had managed to turn up for the game, went wild. It was good. Anyway, sorry, you were telling us about the, the championship. No, but things. what did you think of George Grant? He's very highly rated. He's yeah. been scoring for fun at that level because he's on loan from Forest. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. But, Across the river. Yeah. 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 Very, very highly rated. Uh, the, the final thing I was going to flag up, so sad farewell to uh, Leonard Slutsky, mm. who parted company with Hull. Mutual consent, hull just above the relegation zone, nothing's gone right. So horrendous job to take due to problems behind the scenes, um, having to pretty much build an entirely new team at short notice, and it, it didn't work out. But he's a lovely man, and I hope that's not the last we see of him. OK. Anything else you want to add, or we go back to the no, Premier League? No, that's all totally football back league Back to the show. Premier League. All right. Liverpool. They took Brighton apart. No Manny here. Do you remember when, if Manny wasn't in the team... That it all went to pieces for them, but no longer David Priest. No, and and also the the mess about with with the backline as well, didn't it? Well, yeah. Wijnaldum playing centre half and Chan, Chan. yeah, mm. Very almost football. as if if your defence is no good, just don't play one. Well, that's it. at least have someone who can play football, right? Yeah, so it, it, it worked out for them. I mean, it was it was a probably a good fixture for them to to do that and to experiment a little bit and rest players, but nice five one win takes them back into the top four. They've got Champions League midweek. They need. At least a point at home to Spartak. They're one point ahead of Sevilla. Spartak are three points back as they chase the qualifying spots in that group. Of course, after that, they've got the derby against Big Sam's new-look Everton. Yeah. What did you make of their game against Huddersfield? Um, I think a lot of the a lot of the benefits, besides the obvious benefit of three points, a lot of the benefits were sort of behind the scenes. And mm. there's a, a very touching moment of Sammy Lee, of course, ten years a Liverpool player, about thirteen years I think, uh, Liverpool coaching staff, uh, warming up the players on the pitch. Now Everton fans are kind of just or were just about on board with the idea of Sam Allardyce. Sammy Lee might have been pushing it a little bit, and Bill Kemright came out and gave him a big hug in front of everyone, and that seemed to sort of draw the sting. And then when Sam Allardyce was presented. I think the reception he got 
even took him by surprise. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was very, very warm. And suddenly they, they look united. And it was a strange sort of lineup because uh, Cuco Martinez back in, but at, at left back. And Rooney's a conventional central midfielder all mm. of a sudden. Uh, Calvert Lewin as a lone striker. But there, there was more shape to him and, and definitely more confidence. You see, from the nature of the goals, it's all flicks and turns. They're not the kind of things you do when you know the crowd's on your back and everything's falling apart to play like that. I mean, Allardyce has been saying he's going to bring in a sports psychologist, but up until now, he's been doing it himself, taking the players off for individual chats. Whatever he said to him, it seems to have worked. Mm. After that game, and it is a 2-0 win at home to Huddersfield. Right. Everton are supposed to get that. When was the last time Huddersfield scored a goal away from home? Oish. Opening day of the season, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, they've lost three in seven days now. It's not looking good for them. But there was something about the whole feel of the game that made you think, OK, they're they're, they're going to be all right now. And I tell you what, you've got mm. Sam Allardyce in yep. charge of Everton going to Anfield. You know what Allardyce is like. You know the preparation he puts in. And you know what Liverpool are like with set pieces as well. I wouldn't be even remotely surprised if Everton sneaks something at Anfield next week. Wow. Rooney, of course. Mm. Word or two about Rooney? Yeah, he seems... I mean, you know, the, the zip isn't really there, but the speed of thought is still there. Mm. Um, his, his, his angles, his awareness is everything. And he's got Tom Davis next to him who can do a lot of the running for him. Mm. Um, Sigurdsson was a lot better when he came in off the flank in the second half. So you're starting to see the more positive aspects there. Producer Ben's concerned about you talking about uh, Rooney's zip, so we'll, we'll move on because uh, <laughs> Saturday saw you at Stamford Bridge... Yeah. I bet you thought you were in for the shock of the weekend. Very briefly, yeah. I mean, that even in the press room beforehand, the the Northeast press, you know, generally towards all of the Northeast teams, they have feelings of positivity because their careers are kind of tied in with them. Right. But you couldn't find anyone who felt that Newcastle had even an inkling of a chance in that one, and and so it proved. But at least for the first sort of ten fifteen minutes, it looked like they had a chance. But if anything, their early goal really only just angered Chelsea um, and the big problem was you, you saw Huddersfield against Man City uh, last weekend Huddersfield were excellent at closing the space so they had those two lines defenders and midfielders and barely a gap in between any of them and Newcastle had the defensive bit Rafa Benitez was playing a back five but there just wasn't the cover in front of them so they were winning the first balls as Chelsea got the ball into the box but as it was being cleared away their midfielders Matt Ritchie and um, Michael Marino in particular they just left too much time and too much space and Chelsea just overwhelmed them and it could have been more than three. Oh. Do you think it's it's changed the season of the Premier League? The, the fact that uh, teams like Man City are just so dominant that it's, they're actually spoiling the league because teams haven't to go so defensive against them. Or, or, well, they don't have to, but that's the way they're going. Like Huddersfield. I can't remember last time a team went out and defended 10 yards inside their own box like Huddersfield did. Yeah, I mean, they've got to react. They've got to find a way. And We'll talk about him later, but David Moyes yesterday was saying, look, we're not going to go out and play a team mm. like Man City. We'll get... but, that, but that is the only way, really, they're going to they beat them. The, 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 the times when uh, City and United teams have gone up against them and, and went at them, then they get the result. Now, they, they might get a good hiding as well, but they're not going to win playing like that. But it, I mean, it happened a bit last season. Brendan Rodgers being the first man to crack the Guardiola code uh, last season, showing everyone else how to do it. But then, of course, City react. It's not just the, the little team reacting. So it's getting harder and harder. But I, personally, I quite, I quite like watching the challenge mm. of, of a team trying to use its resources appropriately. Mm. But I'm, I'm and a nerd. Huddersfield almost got a great result out of that. You know, the goal that they ended up conceding at the end was a, a, you know, a pretty spawny one. So they were, they were close to and having already beaten United as well. So, it, it, you know, it can, can work. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man City, though, as you say, David, they're like the 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 boss level. The, the, the end-level boss, but with superior AI, so it actually learns from your attacking. <laughs> it's really scary. We'll talk about them after this. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. End-level boss Man City took on West Ham. West Ham took the lead. Tom Williams. Then what happened? And then Man City attacked them and attacked them some more and carried on attacking them and equalised Nicholas Otamendi with a sort of Gert Muller-esque bit of Mm. six-yard area goal poaching. Um, And obviously we're all aware that in the last few weeks City have managed to find a a late winner when they've needed to. Would they manage to do it against West Ham? Yes, they would. And and actually the funny thing is about these recent wins they've had. So okay, the the goal that Raheem Sterling scored against Huddersfield was was pretty jammy, but mm. the goal that he scored against Southampton was a beauty, and mm. the goal that David Silva scored against West Ham was another lovely goal. Little layoff to Kevin De Bruyne, Silva steams in at the back post, and then one of those beautiful trademark caressed Kevin De Bruyne crosses that David Silva flings himself out at the back post uh, and it's 2-1 City have won again and they're eight points clear mm. um, and yeah suddenly you know that that little glimmer of hope that the chasing pack had had, had glimpsed uh, when they fell behind disappears yeah any David Silva goal is, is, is followed by a, a chorus of, of helpful <laughs> suggestions for me on, on, on social media but I, I, I maintain that he is a different player this year as in a better player than oh, he yeah, has Oh, yeah, a tremendously more efficacious player. Have I just invented it? Is that a neologism? I mean, it, it, may, like it makes sense, but it, that's not, that doesn't necessarily mean that it... You can stick with efficient if you prefer, the prosaic older... Yeah, anyway, but what do you think? Um, I mean, David Silva has, has been very good for quite a long time, hasn't he? Well, um, no, for sure. I mean, he's always been a superbly gifted technical player. I just think he has more end product. He's more incisive now. Yes, I, th- I think I think having this, I think playing in this position, playing in the midfield three with De Bruyne means you see him a bit more. He's involved in the build-up more, mm. um, whereas under previous managers he tended to play a little bit further up the pitch. Plus, he shaved his head, and his old haircut made him look like the kid in the Mastercard mascot advert. I think. And Stephen th- Island. He, I, he looked like Stephen Island for a good month. Or at least yeah. I kept thinking it was Stephen Island. Was and like... then he did something and you realised that's not Stephen Where Island. is Stephen Island now? A stork still. Stoke? Is he? Yes. Is he actually on the books at Stoke? Yeah, I think he's still injured, though, isn't he? Okay. I think David Silva looks like uh, David Caruso. No, you think he looks like David Carradine. Carradine, man! (laughs) Listeners, we've been through this a couple of times. David's trying to identify the man who was in Kung Fu, which many of you will be too young to remember. It's it's pointless going on now. Yeah, you're right, nobody remembers it. David Carradine. Lots of people remember him. He's no longer with us. Producer Ben is insisting in my ear that he died in a wardrobe. What were the circumstances of that, Producer Ben? Playing hide and seek. (laughs) All right, well, uh, Producer Ben's just Googling that before we get ourselves into trouble. But let me ask you, David Priest, is it true that West Ham now have a big decision to make next week about their goalkeeper? David Moyes has a massive decision to make. Mm. I think Adrian played really well. And and not only that, the the, the fact they were missing... um, uh, centre-half, oh God, come on, man. Winston Reid. Yeah, and the fact that we're missing uh, Winston Reid as well. Mm. It, it's, uh, it might, might be quite telling this season that they're really? doing, doing better without both of them. Huh. And I think, uh, unless there's... I, I can't... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought there's a, a clause in Joe Hart's contract saying that he must play. I wouldn't have thought City would have put that in. Because he's on loan. Yeah, I mean, some clubs might insist on the, them playing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that Man City would be bothered whether he's playing or not, really. I hear you. He might actually fancy taking the next two games off. West Ham's next two fixtures are Chelsea and Arsenal. 
So, you know, if you are going to get dropped... Well, to, I mean, to be fair, it's two games where you shouldn't be... As a keeper, you shouldn't... I mean, you could lose the game, obviously, but you still come out with a lot of credit. Mm. And, then, and if Adrian plays exactly the same way as he did uh, against, against City, he, he puts himself in a strong position. And plus, yeah. with Hart having played as disastrously as he did at Everton, that sort of adds more grist to Adrian's mill, perhaps. All right. Um, Producer Ben just confirming the sad details of David Carradine's passing. He was found tied up in a wardrobe in a hotel room in, in, in Bangkok. Really? Yeah. I feel like I still need to know more. Well, you can. Google it online. I don't think it would be... Perhaps not the appropriate forum. Yeah, I don't want to go too much further into the details. <laughs> but, it, you know, a sad way for a, for a legend to, to exit. Koku Fetishist hmm, uh, says, It turns out Puel is a good manager. Leicester manager Claude Puel, of course. Could be an interesting fight for Leicester with Watford for seventh place. Which club is the better one? What, what do you think, Tom Williams? Um, hard to say, really. And they're both in, you know... Good runs of form at the moment. Leicester. Uh, Leicester one, sorry, yeah, I think we're what, about to say the exact same stuff. Go on then. One defeat in 11, and that was against City. Right. And they only lost 2 0 and played quite well. Right. Um, yeah, Puel's come in, has done a good job. Right. Um, Damari Gray was back in the team against Burnley, scored the goal, um, got injured in the process, carried on. Uh, Riyad Mahrez set it up with his new blonde dye job. Yeah, now I put it to you that you don't dye your hair if you don't care. So that, I thought, when I saw him with the dyed blonde hair, I thought, that's a good sign. That shows he's interested again. And even on some basic level, putting himself about getting himself noticed. And Burnley at home, by the way, that's the only the second game they've lost on the road, Burnley. The other one being, again, against Man City. David, I saw you nodding your head about my hair, um, you know, my appreciation of the... Blonde hair. No, now you're shaking it. No, I wasn't doing anything at all. I'm just oh, saying, I mean, I'm the last person to say anything about hair. I'm rapidly. No, I think mind. Tom and I, I think, probably come to something to say about that. But thanks. Thanks, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that was Leicester, while Spurs, of course, uh, were on the wrong end of a, of a show from Watford, or it did end up. Uh, how many was it? There was a point shared. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, one all, and Tottenham will probably feel, having played most of the second half of 10 men, mm. that they'll take that. Um, it's not been a, a very good run of form for Spurs at all. The curse of the man- manager publishing a book starting to kick in, though Pochettino has said that you know they have won a few games since the book came out, including against Real Madrid. Well, that's good. So, so you know, but, that, that might all be bobbins. I think it's more accurate might to Might all be bobbins. Might all be that, yeah. bobbins, yeah. Um, it might be more accurate to look at uh, departed players, injured players, tired players, and, and a tough run of fixtures. But right. Tottenham, yeah, sixth place. Well, Alderweireld is going to be out for a long while yet, and now they're going to be missing Davison Sanchez for, what, three games? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah. Personally, I don't think it was a send-off. You don't? No. He puts his arm across and doesn't. It's not an elbow. He puts his arms across and just kind of was an elbow, though, wasn't it, David? Yeah, it's the pointy bit in the middle. Yeah, but it was a full arm he put out. He didn't just. It wasn't a pointed elbow. It was a full arm. Was it not? Yeah. It so was, I was. It was I think it was a yellow elbow, card. Elbow was it? It no. was an elbow, but not a, not a proper elbow. Right. More of a forearm smash. It's a nuanced chat here. Uh, but anyway, that question of who's better, Watford or Leicester, who's going to finish higher? I think Leicester. Mm. Um, I, and I say this again with all apologies for tipping Watford to go down. Mm. Um, but Leicester, there's still quite a lot of the title-winning team there. They weren't really a bad team before Pure came along. I still think Shakespeare was harshly dismissed. And now we're, we're seeing you know, all of the components are there. I had them to finish ninth, I think, at the start of the season, which is where they are now. They're, um, they're, they're a decent side. 
They're above Southampton, which he'll enjoy. Another thing which I enjoy with Watford is the fact that every week they come up with another player that I've never heard of. <laughs> They're like watching the World Cup in the 70s or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Last week it was, um, oh, who was it? Uh, Ziggler, who out of nowhere for me, I'm sorry, because everybody else has probably been tracking him for well, years. Had he not been injured, Ziggler? Had, had he? he? But now Christian Cabaselli this time, again, completely out of the blue for me. And I bet they've got loads more in a cupboard somewhere. They just kind of <laughs> wheel another one out. Well, of course, it's all part of that Pozzo yeah. scouting network, isn't it? They, yeah, they have this uh, this scouting network that extends outside of the Premier League and people that you've heard of a football manager. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a few misses in there, but uh, particularly Rich Arlison being one of the signings of the season thus far. Hmm. They do things very smartly. I still think they're a little... Um, Leicester at their best and Watford at their best. I'd still put Leicester just ahead. Tremendous bit of flirting pre-game uh, when Pochettino uh, met with Silva. I don't know if you enjoyed that. They were kind of fluttering their eyelashes at each other. I mean, literally on the sidelines. <laughs> it, was, it was gorgeous to watch. Uh, unlike Stokes' clash with Swansea or West Brom's game with Crystal Palace. Hards. Yeah. West Brom had 20 shots, which is the most shots they've had in a league game since something like February 2015 or something. Right. So oh. they had they had more of a go. Is there a simple explanation for why they suddenly <laughs> had loads more shots? Well, they went they went four three three and uh, front three of Robson Carnu, Jay Rodriguez, and Salomon Rondon, and which no is Tony an, Pulis on the bench, attacking. and no Tony Pulis on the bench as well, which helps probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so without a win, still West Brom in 13 league games, but first clean sheet in 10 league games. Ooh, okay. So allied to the shots, that's signs of early progress. And Palace now off the bottom of the table with Swansea now very much there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Big game next weekend. Who have they got next weekend? Swansea, West Brom. Ooh, yeah. Right. Well, there's lots of big games next weekend. So you've got the Merseyside derby, you've got the Manchester derby, you've got the very much bottom end of the table uh, Derby and all sorts of other things as well, but we'll talk about all of that kind of thing on Thursday, in which uh, the show will also be rounding up what happens in the Champions League. We'll talk a little bit about that kind of thing right after this. Listeners, if you want your face to be as smooth as the sounds here at our new home, Jazz FM, then you need to noodle on to cornerstone.co.uk pronto. Cornerstone, take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again. They'll deliver them right to your door. To get you started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and you'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Nice. Yes, indeed, everybody. If you are into your foreign football, then you'll be delighted to know that we'll be catching up on events in Spain very, very shortly. We, we touched on Benevento. We're still very much bottom of the pile in Syria earlier on. But at the other end of the table... Very exciting situation there. Of course, uh, Saturday, sorry, Friday actually was uh, Napoli Juventus, and this saw very much Juventus back to being Juventus, scoring early through the former Napoli man Higuain, who was playing despite having an operation on his hand about five days before against his former club. Scores in the twelfth minute, and after that, Juve just they basically just shut. They just muzzled Napoli, which was a, it was very impressive and a worrying sight for the other title contenders. Uh, Juve are now one point behind Napoli, but top of the table are Inter, those three teams within two points of each other, Tom Williams. Inter had a 2-0 win over Chievo. The next two teams, interestingly, are Roma and Lazio. If they both win their games in hand, you'd have the top five within four points of each other. Boom. Proper title race, by the way. Proper title race. 
We'll see if it stays that way till the end of the season. Next weekend, Inter taking on Juventus. Ooh, another big game. Before that, though, Roma, Napoli and Juve will be battling for their places in the last 16. Roma and Juve look relatively good for that. Napoli in a slightly more delicate position. They are three points behind Shakhtar Donetsk, who they really require, obviously, then Man City to beat, while they themselves visit Feyenoord. And there's some doubt about whether Insigne is going to be injured for that that game. Also in the Champions League, Celtic, who are now 67 games unbeaten domestically after their latest win over Motherwell. This one was 5-1. Crikey. But now they're taking on Anderlecht. As long as they avoid a heavy defeat there, having beaten Anderlecht 3 another way, they are going to be into the Europa League. All right, then. Lots of other teams battling for their places in the last 16. Some battling for... Well, look at this. Borussia Dortmund. They're taking on Apoel Nicosia for the Europa League spot. Two teams level right now uh, on points. Borussia Dortmund, by the way, failing to win again this weekend. Tom, I don't know if you've been following this. Their travails under Peter Bosch. They were up against 10-man Bayer Leverkusen in a 1-1 draw. Dortmund have now picked up as many red cards as points in the last two months. That's, that's, never, that's never a great start, is it? That's that's scary, isn't it? It's three, by the way, in case you're wondering. It's three. Three red cards, three points. OK. Hmm. Bayern got back to winning ways. They beat Hamburg 3-0 at home. Uh, Liam Fiervois says, Can Tom put into context how big a shot the Strasbourg win over Paris Saint-Germain was? Tom, you spent four years in Paris... And uh, still worked for AFP, of course. Can you put this into context for us? When Strasbourg beat Paris Saint-Germain, Tom, what on earth happened here? Uh, a hefty shock. Strasbourg uh, promoted from Ligue 2 last season mm. in the relegation zone at the start of the game. Mm. PSG undefeated in the league since April. Uh, and they lost. Oh. Uh, just PSG, Unai Emery rested a few players. No Thiago Silva, no Verratti, no Cavani. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it was one of those days where PSG just didn't really turn up. They admitted after the game they hadn't really been as focused as perhaps they should have been. Uh, Nuno da Costa put Strasbourg ahead with a free header from a free kick um, in the 13th minute. PSG equalised through Kylian Mbappe. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice near post finish from a an Adrian Rabiot cross. Um, but then Strasbourg got ahead again and a really... A really soft goal to concede. Big hoof from the back, flick on, uh, and Stefan Bahoken ran through to beat uh, Alphonse Ariola. Stefan Bahoken, who spent the 2013-14 season on loan at St Mirren, is that right? And was apparently absolutely hopeless. But oh. he has he's had his had his day in the sun. Um, PSG now nine points clear at the top, so their their lead has has diminished slightly. And there are three clubs. Um, level on points uh, as their closest pursuers, Lyon, Monaco and Marseille. Mm. So wouldn't say the title race is necessarily back on. But the um, battle for second is is, is alive and well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lyon, Lyon won, Monaco won, both quite narrow wins. Uh, and Marseille drew uh, 1-1 at Montpellier last night. So it's, yeah, it's uh, it's quite tight at the top in, in Liga. On the subject of Strasbourg, uh, I actually almost signed for them once. Yeah, did, did you? Yeah. Um, in the summer of... 98, it was just after the playoff final, Sunderland against Charlton. I was at Darlington at the time. And uh, myself, Michael Green, a couple of other players went to, to Birmingham uh, to watch South Africa, England, and uh, the cricket. And I was at one night, and, and I was a lot of the lads who were with were playing for Sunderland and different clubs, and I was at Darlington at the time. So every time somebody asked what I did, I said I was a footballer. And then when I told them I played for Darlington, it was almost like, well, you don't really play for Darlington, uh, football, so you're not really a footballer. So I... 
talking to a girl one night and I just said uh, I played for Strasbourg. Why? Well, it was just I had a thing was about she French or something. Not, not at all. But I just thought, well, it's not a. It, it, I'm thinking they were in league one at the time, but um, it's not a big club. Nobody will know whether I'm, I play for them or not. She won't question it. And it turns out our, our uncle was an agent. She phoned her uncle the next day. He got in contact with a contact in France. He got in contact with the club. Obviously, they don't know. They haven't got a clue who I am. So I thought that was that. I thought that was it. And well, hang on a sec. So what? Did, so when she found out that you didn't play for Strasbourg, then what happened? Yeah. So she phoned me up and said, "You know, well, you're obviously lying." So th- then that was that. <laughs> that was yeah, that, that, that was the end of that. So uh, I wasn't too bothered. Anyway, two weeks later, this is in close season ninety eight. What other clubs have you claimed to play for? Only Strasbourg. <laughs> <laughs> Just bewildered. Why would you pick Strasbourg? But anyway, no sorry, back to your story. So anyway, uh, two weeks later, I get a phone call from an agent who I kind of knew. And he said, um, asked about my contract situation, said, I've got a move for you. He says, where to? He went to Strasbourg. Says, and, and I kind of clicked, but I didn't know what the mechanics behind it, how it had happened. Hmm. says, all right. So the next thing I know, I'm in an airport, in Manchester airport, waiting for a flight to Strasbourg. Anyway, we get there, and we, something happens with the flight. We miss the flight. So he says, don't worry about it. I've got a contact in Brussels. We fly to Brussels. It's about a four-hour drive from Brussels. We can we can drive from there, no problem. We can borrow a car, yeah. So we get a flight to Brussels, and as we're waiting to uh, to pick up a car, he gets an, another phone call from an agent in in uh, in Belgium. So then he says, uh, "Lierse need a, a goalkeeper. How, do you know, have you got any goalkeepers?" I'm sitting there. So from me going from in a nightclub, just talking to a girl and saying, "Play for play for Strasbourg." Yeah. A, a, a potential move to Strasbourg is now off and I'm heading to sort of like the outskirts of Antwerp in a car from mm. Brussels <laughs> to go and talk to Lierse. So, um... I'm not familiar with Lierse. I'm, I'm sure they were champions around that time. All yeah, right. yeah. So, um, within the next two hours, yeah. I've looked around a one-bedroom apartment and I'm sat in the driving seat of a brand-new Renault Twingo on a forecourt and I've agreed a deal to go to... to to Lears. All on the night And this is line. this is all yeah, this is all off just me lying to somebody telling right. me I, I play for Strasbourg. What were you like next week? You're like, oh yeah, I play for uh, AC Milan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how that goes. It's never worked. So then I'm, I'm sat there, I'm just thinking how surreal all this is off the back of it. Yeah. And then my manager, Donald and David Hodgson, knew nothing about this. <laughs> nothing at all. So obviously they'd had to contact the club. So now from not going to no move at all to go to Strasbourg, then to go to Lears. And then uh, at the time, I had a £100,000 uh, minimum release clause in my contract, and they didn't want to pay it, and then, so I went back to Darlington. But what an adventure that was. What a yeah. two weeks that was. But really? I've, I've always had a oh. thing for Renault Twingos after that, though. I can imagine I, you I, would. I, I, I never actually bought one, but I did have a bit of a thing for one. Yeah. All right. Mm. Wow. Pity the fool's got to follow that story. Now, it's been a while since we heard of events in Spain... But to sort us out on that front, Lord James, who's in Madrid, joins us now. Hello, Lord. Hello, James. Are you well? I'm very well. I'm so excited that we can speak to you today after this weekend, which saw all the big teams draw in the Liga. Yes, I know. Unfortunately, I haven't really <laughs> got a terrible amount of action to report. But yes, but lots of draws. Having said that, Barcelona drawing, Real Madrid drawing, Valencia getting beaten, actually. is that, yeah. That's all quite big news. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, Valencia have come out and said, absolutely, the title race is wide open. It is a question, though, of, of, you know, a team stepping up and taking advantage when those big hitters draw. Um, And uh, nobody seems to be doing that, possibly barring Atletico, who got a late winner. 
the, the traditional big two of, of Barcelona and Real Madrid. Real Madrid, I see, are off to their worst, in terms of the, the number of points they've got, their worst performance in a decade in, in, in the Liga. Barcelona are hardly lighting things up at, at the moment either. Statisticians over here are having a whale of a time where Real Madrid are concerned because all you see in the papers, uh, for instance, Marker this morning had um, a statistical analysis of why they're, they're doing so badly. Remarks about how, for instance, Benzema needs 10 attempts before he scores. Ronaldo needs 34, they've calculated, attempts before he scores a goal. This is in La Liga, of course, because his Champions mm. League form is, is outstanding. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of uh, the domestic competitions, they're just... They're just not doing it. Um, Messi got his first goal in six. But as you say, the, the real story has almost been Valencia amongst all of this. What has gone so right there? The coach is the key, you know, Marcelino has, um, he's a very serious, very studious coach known for his homework and a very sort of methodical approach to preparation. Now they're the second highest scoring team in the league. Condogbia, Gondalo Guedes, Rodrigo, hugely important along with Dani Parejo. As you said earlier, they, they lost at the weekend. Um, they blamed that on Getafe's pitch, claiming that Getafe deliberately failed to maintain that in the days leading up to a match, allowing it to harden in this very dry but also extremely cold country. And yeah, 15 degrees is cold. <laughs> you know, they've, So they've said that the uh, league should be doing more to stop Getafe from getting away with this. But in terms of what has gone right with Valencia, you know, it's, it's very much a, a very methodical approach to work. And I think there's a, there's a great deal of self-belief there as well. You know, they, they say that the title race is, is wide open. I'm not... I'm not terribly convinced they're long-term contenders. Losing against Getafe, who went a man down after 25 minutes, they should have got something, I think, there. But it's very refreshing to see. Absolutely. Finally, Laura, what what was the reaction to the World Cup draw? Portugal, Morocco and Iran, and, and the opening game for Spain against Portugal, which, of course, has that Cristiano Ronaldo narrative. (laughs) <laughs> it does, it does. This Iberian derby. Um, Julen uh, Lepidiga has said it's not the time to talk about individuals. Portugal are, you know, European champions as a team. And while that sounds like standard parlance, I suppose, for a respectful coach or someone not maybe even wanting to give a headline away, he has worked over the past 18 months to make Spain more of a team. When he took over, they were on a decline, better than 2014, but nevertheless rather hapless. And I think, you know, what he's instilled in terms of, of making them gel a little bit, you know, bringing that young talent forward as well, Isco, Marco Asensio, Alvaro Marata, all hugely talented and known now. So in terms of um, of what they expect from this World Cup uh, progression, certainly from the group, um, along with Portugal, though, but I think they're very, very wary of that opening game. Well, it should be an absolute cracker. Laura, thank you so much. Uh, for a, was that a dog you have there? Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's obligatory in this industry, I think. Perrita, uh, qué are you? Sorry. No, not at all. <laughs> um, what's what's their name? Era. Ah. Era. Tranquila. Eres mi cariño. Era. There we she go. doesn't speak any English. No, no. Um, she'll learn. Laura, thank you so much. We best leave you to uh, Era, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll catch up with you again soon. <laughs> thank you. That's Spain. MLS, David Priest. Can't wait. 
Have you ever watched the MLS? Yeah, quite a bit. Have you? Yeah, I went over to see uh, one of my good friends is uh, head of branding at the MLS or at MLS. Head of branding. Yeah. So not we... in the kind of Texas cattleman. No, not... <laughs> They don't do that with their players, do they? No, not not to my knowledge. But mm. uh, yeah, the, the whole rebranding of MLS uh, a couple of years ago, he was dropping he... the the that kind of thing. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I went up to see him, and it was. Uh, They've really, t- it's really too cold over there. They went really fan orientated, and it's uh, yeah, the, 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 all the people are running with it. All right, yeah. I love that head of branding. I wonder what he does day to day. Um, did you see him in the office? Question. No, I didn't go in the office. No, just went for a few drinks from a couple of nights. All right, yeah, head of branding. Yeah. Get some good games there, but mm-hmm. the the problem is that the the domestic season is so drawn out um, before the playoffs, hmm. and there's no promotion or relegation, so a lot of the games. Don't really mean much. It was a big mm. talking point. I went to a, to a film festival and there was like a big talk afterwards. And there was a guy who was a, who head of a, a head of Foursquare, you know the the yeah. website, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he's got a he's got a, a team in the in NESL or one of the lower leagues. And there's a real sort of move and push towards uh, promotion relegation. Really? Now. Yeah. Especially especially well, from, that would be from unprecedented, from which is a, something that. A lot of Americans would love to be right now, but unprecedented in American sports where there's no notion of moving between one and the other. A lot of the owners don't want it because the budgets are set and you're dealing with a nation that has this kind of historical trauma of what happened in the 70s when they all flew headlong into it and loads of people lost their shirts. So the owners are very, very Mm. much like, we we, we want to know exactly where our budgets are at all times and promotion relegation doesn't really lead into that. Anyway, next up in MLS land, it is a blistering MLS Cup final, which is only a rematch of last year's Cup final, which wasn't quite so blistering. But anyway, it's Toronto FC who will be taking on the Seattle... What are they, Sounders? Seattle Sounders. We're all up on that MLS. That is going to be next Saturday... 9pm UK time at Toronto's BMO Field. Boom. Boom. That's your football. Coming up next, Ian McIntosh takes over the mic and gets the odds with Paddy Power. Thanks, James. Well, it's been a busy weekend. I'm joined by Paddy Power himself for Movers and Shakers. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully well. How are you? Excellent. That was very, very confident. I like that. <laughs> i tell you what, there's no confidence, though, and that's Newcastle. I was at Stamford Bridge at the weekend. They did not look good. I think it's six without a win now. Benitez seems very, very sad. What are the odds on them going down right now? Yeah, they're five to one to go down. So Swansea are rock bottom. It's, it's worse for Swansea fans, to be fair. So if you're a Newcastle fan, at least not as bad as it is for Swansea fans. Their favourites are two to seven, but Newcastle are five to one to go down, which might be worth a bet because Everton have kind of refound their mojo. So there's a few teams that are kind of a, you know getting themselves together a bit. So that it mightn't be as competitive down that end. Let's go somewhere happier. Liverpool to finish top scorers in the Premier League. Now everyone's got Man City for this right now, but another five goals for Liverpool against Brighton. What can I get there? Yeah, they're ten to one to be top scorer, and that could, that could be worth a few quid because they're going to concede plenty, aren't they? I mean, it's all about the defensive howlers for Liverpool, and they they have to keep scoring to kind of cover that up. It reminds me of the old Aziz days, where if no matter how many we concede, we just score more and we will win, which unfortunately doesn't work that way. But uh, yeah, they're ten to one to finish top scorers in, in terms of number of goals scored, so that could be worth a look, I think. All right, elsewhere, talking about goals. Now we want Celtic to win, we really do, but. What could we get for the three nil that would see Anderlecht knock them out of third? Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a big big price. I mean, it, it would it'll be unthinkable that they'll they'll uh, capitulate to that degree. But they're forty five to one Anderlecht to win three 0 So if you do think it could go completely pear shaped for Brendan Rodgers and them and Celtic, yeah, 
maybe uh, 45 to 1 for the pessimist. Pear-shaped is probably the best way of describing England's uh, performances in recent World Cups, but what can I have for gallant runners-up in Russia? Yeah, you see, the group is good. It's not amazing. It's not as good as the hosts, which, like, I don't know, somehow or other end up with the best group in the history of World Cup groups, but uh, <laughs> but England still have a, a decent group. It's probably just slightly... If you're going over there looking at the draw, I mean, it's better than halfway from between worst and best, isn't it? Like, it's slightly on the right side of it. So, uh, they're 16-1 to 1 to win it. To get to the finals, about 11-2, to 2, but to lose the final, heartbreaking as it might be, is 10-1. to 1. And if you're I don't know, I guess you could be a positive England fan and have that as an insurance policy. But I'm not sure if I buy that. It's really going to make up for losing in the final to an, a, a dodgy own goal or a handball or something like that. I'm not sure if we'll find a positive England fan. Thank you so much for coming in, Paddy. If you want to find out more about that, have a look at paddypower.com or download the app. Remember, it's 18 and over only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Well, that wraps it up then for another edition of Totally Football Show. Many thanks to Ian McIntosh and to you, David Priest and Tom Williams. Fantastic. Lovely to see you in the studio. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Hopefully the start of a long and fruitful relationship. And you listeners, do come back. We'll be here on Thursday if you'd like a bit of it. And uh, we'll have a lot to talk about, that's for sure. For now, this has been your Totally Football Show. Have a super time. Hello, me again. Before you go, Muddy Knees Media's hiring again. And this time, we're looking for an office manager. It's not a full-time position, not yet. But we do need someone with administrative experience to come and look after the books for about, ooh, 16 hours a week. It's the kind of job that would suit a hitherto stay-at-home parent who's just got the kid into school and is looking for a smooth way back into the workplace. If that sounds like you or someone you know, get in touch. Send your CV to hello at muddyneesmedia.com with office manager in block capitals in the subject header.